Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Welcome, everyone, to Beyond Surviving, the safe space for survivors of childhood sexual abuse to receive support, resources, and share their stories. Beyond Surviving is about freedom, healing, connection, and even laughter and fun. Most importantly, it's about letting go of the pain of abuse and finally moving on. I'm Rachel Grant, and for those of you who don't yet know me, I've been a sexual abuse recovery coach since 2007, and I'm the author of Beyond Surviving, the final stage of recovery from sexual abuse. You can learn more about me and the Beyond Surviving program at rachelgrantcoaching.com. Now, folks, today we have with us the fabulous Toby Stark. I cannot wait to share with you all the story of how Toby and I came to be in each other's worlds and um, the amazing work that we um, are now doing together. We have teamed up and um, one of the, what we're really going to be focusing on today um, is how to become an empowered parent. How do we protect our children? How do we take good care of them? You know, those of you listening know that this is a space where we talk oftentimes about healing, you know, the work that we do on the other side of having experienced a trauma. And I'm so excited to be partnering with Toby and to begin really stepping into more work around prevention, response, and awareness. 
So a little bit about Toby. Uh, really, she started the Stark Consulting Group on the foundation of her many years working as a child advocate, and she earned a national reputation um, in the world of child sexual abuse prevention. And what I really uh, appreciate and adore about Toby is that it's not about lip service. She's really there to help organizations and communities and individuals to do what we really truly need to do to better protect the youth. So you know I'm all about that here. We don't just talk, it's all about action. Um, and Toby's had the great opportunity to work with national amateur youth sports organizations, youth serving organizations, school systems, parents, and of course now the Beyond Surviving community. Uh, and you know, she's got some credentials, y'all. I'm like, uh oh, I started to read these credentials and I was like, oh man. <laughs> Toby graduated um, as a graduate of the FBI Citizens Academy, the Carmel Police Citizens Academy, as well as the Hamilton County Leadership Academy. She's a member of Prevent Child Abuse Indiana State Advisory Council and recognized as the Outstanding Advocate of the Year in 2013 and the Aspiring Person of the Year, oh my goodness, in 2015. So we have a powerhouse with us here today. Toby, thank you so much for being here. I'm so excited to have this conversation. Oh, thank you for having me. I'm thrilled. Yes. So one of the things that you and I have been um, working on <laughs> lately by way, and I mean, we really came to be in each other's world to have this opportunity to even collaborate um, because you happened upon the Beyond Surviving podcast. And then a client of mine introduced us and said, hey, I think you all should know each other. And we hopped on the phone and had a chat and just, you know, kismet kindred spirits um, right from the start. And now, you know, building on the curriculum that you've already put so much beautiful time and effort into, um, we've come together uh, to now be able to offer the empowered parent um, to the beyond surviving community. So for those of you listening, I'm just like right from the, the jump, um, come and check that out. You can go to bit.ly slash the empowered parent. Uh, you can get on the wait list and we will notify you when we're going to be doing that live training again. We're just about to go in and do it for the first time together tomorrow. So when y'all are listening to this, uh, we will have had that done and complete and I'm so excited about it. And so where, you know, Toby, I want to start out with a little bit of who are you? <laughs> um, introducing yourself, letting people know a little more about you and how you came to this work. Um, wow. Thank you for, for asking. And I'm just I'm, I'm thrilled to be here. I'm a huge fan of the the work that you do in healing for trauma. And I have so much respect for you for jumping into something a little new and different, which you know, which, which is prevention, which is hoping that the folks out there aren't having to deal with the after effects of trauma. So, so thank, thank you for um, taking those steps and doing that with me. I'm, I'm thrilled. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I, I landed in this work quite by accident, um, as I have with most of the wonderful things in my life, landed upon it quite by accident. Um, but what happened was once I started getting involved in child sexual abuse prevention and child advocacy. It was a very interesting process. I started learning more about what child sexual abuse is and is not. I had the complete honor of hearing people's stories, so I started understanding the dynamic of child sexual abuse. 
And, and I will tell you, as I kept getting deeper and deeper into this work, I started remembering people in my past, in my childhood, yeah. in my early 20s, where I had completely overlooked the warning signs for the simple reason that I didn't know they were warning signs. It wasn't because I didn't care. I simply did not know. And so this job of mine, you know, as a child advocate, child sexual abuse prevention, very quickly became so much more than a job because what I, what I realized was it doesn't have to be that way. I kept thinking, what if I had had the training that I'm now providing? What if I had had that decades earlier? You know, mm-hmm. what, if, yeah. what if my parents had had this training decades earlier? Friends of mine who were parents. And it just all started to come together that it just doesn't have to be this way. And so this this job that I landed upon quite by accident um, very quickly became so much more. Yeah, I can really appreciate that. You know, even as someone who experienced childhood trauma, I can look back at times when maybe I was noticing something, but I didn't know what to say, or I didn't know how to navigate it, or my own shit was coming up, and I just didn't know how to navigate all of it together. So yes, this is, I think it's such a beautiful, amazing thing that you've taken on. And the what you are dedicating your life to is of such purpose and so important. And yeah, it's kind of one of those dreams of mine, like I'd really like to go out of business. <laughs> I'd really like the work that I do to not be necessary at all. Because at some point, there's this moment where just, yeah, and I know that's a big dream. And you know, outlandish. But in the meantime, the work that we can do to bring awareness to empower parents and caregivers and guardians and anyone spending time with children to know what to do and um, and how to take care and, and how to respond in these moments is important. So let's dig into this a little bit. I think, you know, when I was growing up, certainly the the very little messaging that I got around body safety and like all of this was really just very much that whole stranger danger thing. And of course, no stranger ever really harmed me. It was, you know, my grandfather. And we know statistically that that's really very much the case. And I'm just curious, like when you think about that message and that teaching, is there any benefit to us continuing to do that? Or or what do we need to be doing instead? Well, you know, stranger danger, um, as outdated as it is, and irrelevant as it is, is a far more comfortable place for us to sit. It is so much more comfortable for us to think that it would be a stranger who might harm our children. But the statistics and the numbers tell us very differently. And, and they're, they're very difficult statistics. One in 10 children are sexually abused by their 18th birthday. 90% of those children are abused by somebody they know, love, and trust. And that's a really difficult and painful number to get our head around. I know as a parent, that's the statistic that would keep me up at night. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's why the messages that we impart to our children are a little bit more multidimensional now, a little uh, deeper and a little broader. But we have to teach our children, number one, that their bodies belong to them. 
-hmm. and only to them. And they are absolutely allowed to stop any touches that are either unwanted or make them feel uncomfortable or icky, even if they are at the same time feeling good. So feelings that could um, make them feel um, icky or confused Mm -hmm. as well. So we've got to teach our children their bodies belong to them. They are allowed to stop any touches that, that, that they want stopped for any reason. We need to teach our children to please tell a safe adult if anybody touches them in this way because, and here's the most important message, is abuse is never, ever, ever your fault. And we adults have to remember that because sometimes children don't tell us about the abuse. Sometimes they wait a long time to tell us yeah. um, because this is usually somebody they know, love, and trust. They're continuing to interact. And so we as adults have to also remember those body safety messages and model them for our children mm-hmm. and enforce them um, all the time, you know, yeah. not just when we're sitting down maybe once a year to have a talk. Right. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. So many good points. As you were sharing that, it it took me back to my years as a nanny. And um, with the the little boy and the little girl, the conversation that I would, you know, start with them, I would say things like, if anyone ever touches you in a way that you are confused about, or you don't like, I want you to say something. And that includes if I do something, and if your brother does something or your sister or your father or your mother, and I remember having a conversation with the parents and they were a little bit shocked that I lumped them in. <laughs> um, and even myself, like, isn't the child now going to be scared of you? I'm like, no, 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 no. But what we're doing is normalizing the fact that, yes, it's like it could be somebody who you normally spend a lot of time with or who takes really good care of you in lots of ways. Um, but then might also do something that hurts or harms you. And I think that's so critical because that is part of what makes trauma so complex and confusing for a child is that most of the time the person is doing things that are nurturing alongside the things that are wounding and harmful. And so it just gets very, very um, messy very quickly (laughs) in the child's mind about like what what is happening here. Yeah. So the more that we empower our children and have these conversations in a continual ongoing basis, the better off they're going to be, the more empowered they're going to be. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, you touched upon a really great point. You talked about um, oftentimes there are very loving, caring, trusting things happening alongside of the abuse. And Sometimes that is very intentional. Sometimes that is part of what's called the grooming process. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's just a natural offshoot of the relationship you have with that parent. But, you know, we, we have to move away from this whole idea that we are protecting our children against a certain person Mm -hmm. or against a Mm -hmm. certain person. We're just protecting our children. Yeah. Period. Yeah. Hard stop. And so those things that you were talking about with the kids that you nanny, that's just what you wanted for them in general. And it did not matter. It did not matter who. And that's really where we need to land. Right. Yeah. When we start to think about, you know, some of these statistics and how um, much of a, a pandemic, you know, childhood trauma really is, that can get really overwhelming. And the idea of 
preventing it, right? Like, oh my goodness. And it, I know so many of my parents, you know, the route that they have gone, particularly because they themselves were abused, is just to become very hypervigilant. You don't go anywhere, you don't stay overnight anywhere, you know, and just become very helicopter parents. And, you know, the child's locked home and they know, like they can feel it and recognize it, that this is not, you know, the route to go. And that's not really going to um, serve their children. And so w while we use this uh, word of prevention, one of what we're really talking about is minimizing and reducing risk because we can't guarantee. I, I once said to a parent of mine who was really struggling with this, you know, when you teach your child to drive, you give them all the tools they need to drive and you teach them how to be a defensive driver and how to take good care and how to be aware and how to pay attention and um, what things to do to minimize the risk they'll get into an accident, but someone could still run a stop sign. And so then we have to think about, do we know how to respond in a moment? And so I think that applies here. We want to think about how do we minimize and reduce the risk of a child being harmed? And then how do we respond? So let's just take that first piece. Mm -hmm. Like what are some of the practical things that um, someone can do um, to protect their child, to help minimize and reduce the risk? Um, this right here is the very first step, having the conversation. There, there is such stigma around mm -hmm. talking about child sexual abuse that it bleeds into child sexual abuse prevention. It's really hard for people to come to the table and talk about this. And I really do think it goes back to that statistic that 90% of children who are sexually abused are abused by someone they know, love, and trust. That's, that's not just difficult. <clears throat> that's painful. And, and so it's much easier for us to sidestep the conversation. But if we can come to the table, if we can step beyond our discomfort, step beyond any shame, any stigma, and start talking about it, we've immediately torn down probably a perpetrator's most powerful weapon, and that is silence. Mm. You know, perpetrators count on our silence. They count on us um, not being comfortable to talk about this. Um, not being comfortable <clears throat> interrupting their behaviors because we don't want to offend them. Mm -hmm. So the very first step in protecting our children and minimizing the risk of abuse is exactly what we're doing here. Don't be afraid to talk about this, not with your other yeah. parent friends, not with your co-parent, not with your children. Yeah. Um, and, yep. And then, you know, I think it goes from there and it builds from there. You you start to have conversations regularly with your children about body safety. And this really isn't, um, oh, my kids have turned a certain age. I need to talk to them about body safety, and then I'm done. Um, <laughs> yes, yeah. It, it's really an ongoing <laughs> got that over with. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, no. um, you know, it's an ongoing conversation because if you think about it, the message is relevant whether the child is six years old or 16 years old. Yeah. I mean, really, it's even relevant if we're 36 years old. Yeah, you know? 100%. Yeah, those body safety messages are very relevant. And if you think about it, when you talk about those with your children, as your children grow and develop and mature, they're going to start hearing, even though they may be the same words, they're going to start hearing the different messages that are relevant to their point in development. I'll, I will never forget um, that it was a nighttime. I will never forget the night that I was having this conversation with my son, and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, he says, you mean this could be somebody I know? Hmm. All these years, 
I yeah. Have been, I have been so that crazy. finally really clicked in for him. Mm-hmm. His little brain was not ready to hear that message mm-hmm. until that night. Mm-hmm. And so if I had felt like, oh, I've communicated this to him over and over and over and over again, we would have missed that opportunity. Yeah. Oh, such a good example. Yeah. <laughs> because, and children are very great. Yes, I understand. Yes, I get it. Yes, I know. <laughs> But we don't really, really know, right? So getting them, you know, asking questions and reflecting back and talking back and what did you hear there? And exactly that developmentally when they're really able to take on that information. And it'll happen organically. Yeah. It's not like our words change when they turn four years old. You know, it just happens organically for them. Right. Love that. And and I'd love to. Oh, go ahead. Well, you just, I thought of a, an experience I had as you were talking about just this first piece of the puzzle, which is, do we talk about it? Do we bring it up? And it reminded me of a, a friend of mine whose uh, child was having a lot of um, outbursts, a lot of behavioral issues, man, major tantrums. And, um, it, you know, during, it was during the, you know, this COVID. And, and so there were all these extenuating circumstances, but it also like, my, my, you know, my spidey senses were just like, "Hmm." and I remember standing with this person and that internal moment of like, I need to ask them if they're considering that there could be something going on, that this child could be being abused in some context. And uh, that little moment of discomfort, but luckily I have a lot of training and a lot of, I don't give a F. (laughs) And so, you know, I just said, Hey, you know, are you, uh, are you assessing for, you know, sexual abuse, trauma, other things, bullying, you know, and uh, what was really fabulous for me in that moment was just noticing the ease with which this person was like, oh, okay, yeah, like, I'm, that's a good question. Let me think about, you know, we just had a conversation. Now, you know, not everyone's going to be open, but I think we, we have this internal sense that it's just going to cause a like, how dare you kind of response. But I think if we're coming from that place of like, hey, I'm concerned and this could be a possibility and we should think about that, um, that most of the time people are going to be really receptive and open to that. You're you're so right. And, and you know, you hit on such a good point. Um, I, like you, have all this training in this area. I, I don't know that these conversations have ever become comfortable or easy right. for me. There's always that little moment. I've got to get to get past my little moment of fear, hesitation. Yeah. yeah. yeah and I think that's such an important message to share with folks is yeah. don't wait until this becomes comfortable and easy for you mm-hmm. to have these conversations, because I'm sorry to tell you that it probably right. won't. <laughs> yes. We just have to be, and I use this word all the time, we have to be very intentional Mm -hmm. because what we naturally want to do around this subject is usually the exact opposite. Um, You know, you with your friend, that was really difficult for you to even introduce that idea to your friend, but you knew how important it was anyway. So I just, I think you bring up such a good point that you know, there is a degree of personal risk in protecting our children. Mm-hmm. And, and it's damn well worth it. That's right. Like, <laughs> there are really, I mean, yeah. we always, always have a choice. But you know what? What other option do we want to really take? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. 
So we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to continue to explore other ways that we can minimize and reduce risk. We're going to get into some questions that you can really ask of the organizations or the caregivers or the camps or the whatever that your child is participating in and um, and also what to do if a child discloses. So we're going to take a quick break and then we'll be right back. For survivors of abuse, shame can be one of the most pervasive feelings we carry well after the abuse has ended. As a result of trauma, we come to believe that we are at fault or to blame for what's happened. Then this transforms into a deeply rooted way of being that impacts our sense of self. We come to believe that we are unlovable and then we find ourselves constantly in self-blame, shame, and in derogatory or negative thinking. In my Shake Off the Shame Masterclass, you will gain access to my proven process that will help you feel more confident and secure so you can put an end to taking care of everyone but you. You can identify the toxic shame-based beliefs that keep you trapped in a cycle of taking the blame for everything and how to overcome them and learn practical, easy-to-use strategies for how to escape shame and finally love who you are. Go to rachelgrantcoaching.com slash shame dash class to download this MP3 masterclass today. Now back to our show. All right. Welcome back, everyone. So, Toby, we were just starting to really dig into some of the things that we can do to minimize and reduce the risk of abuse. So what are some of the other things that we want to really keep in mind when it comes to this? Right, right. And I keep falling back on the word intentionality. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I think it's so important for parents to um, to not be afraid of being that parent, you know, to be very proactive and ask organizations some very specific questions. You know, we are entrusting this organization with our child. And we sometimes um, carry this false sense of security because maybe this organization has been around forever. Mm. Maybe this organization has such a great reputation, either locally or nationally. Maybe we as children were a part of this organization and had a great experience, right? So we oftentimes walk away with a false sense of security, but go back to we're not protecting our children against a certain person or a certain type of person. We're protecting our children, period. Yes. So to protect my children, I'm going to want to know some things. You know, I'm, I may not have hesitated to have asked um, what their, if it's a sports team, what their concussion um, protocol is, right? Mm-hmm. That's, that's an easy enough question to ask. Yes. But I also need to ask, what are their policies and procedures around youth protection? You know, what do what do they um, what do they say about one on one situations? Because 80 percent of all child sexual abuse happens in one on one situations. So does this organization have a policy against a one on one interaction between a minor and adult Um, or do they um, do they ask people to minimize those one on one situations versus prohibit it? Are they not even aware of that? Yeah. So, so let's let's ask about their um, youth protection policies and procedures to start off with. And and I'll tell you, an organization should be 
at the they ready. They should be so ready. <laughs> yeah, they, they should, should be so ready. Completely yeah. And really happy to answer those questions yeah. and provide a parent a copy. Yeah. So if, if an organization can't do that, that's really the first red flag. Yeah, for sure. I'll never forget you said the other day, like, oh, parent would be all about asking about snacks. What are you, are you going to make sure my child has a snack? Like mama bear, like will come out right away about snack time, but you don't ask about what they're probably like, really. So like what I think is important, like for those of you who are listening through the lens of like, I am a parent, I'm a, you know, someone who cares for a child. Think about all the ways that you become just adamant about them having their needs met. And just bring that same energy into this context, into this conversation. Like you have it in you. You're already protecting and caring for your child in so many ways. So just ask those questions that are going to help you get at these sorts of things, this information. Yeah. Right. Right. You know, I'll I'll share a story with with the folks. I I was signing my kids up for summer camp and I, I was about to ask these questions. And of course, it was really uncomfortable. I had to do a lot of self-talk and I started to do it. And I asked about their youth protection policies and procedures. And their answer to me was, what are, what are you talking about? We don't even have a clue what you mean. They didn't even know what I meant. And they told me that they've had people working with them for 20, 30 years. They, they don't ever have to worry about that. Mm-mm. And I just, I thanked them so much. And found another place for my children to go to camp. Yeah. But, you know, they didn't even, they didn't even know what I meant by that. Oh, yeah. It's disheartening. And I think that piece too of like, ah, uh, you know, we just have to be willing to pivot. We have to be willing to like, nope. Okay, kiddo. Sorry. This is not the place where you're going to go. We're going to find something else. There are other opportunities. Clearly you found a place that, you know, could, could meet your needs. And yeah, that whole idea that people just get a pass because they've been around for a really long time. I mean, that just, it just doesn't count. Like my grandfather never abused anyone aside from me. And then all of a sudden, you know, in his older age, he, that was something that he chose to do. Right. So there's none of this like, Oh, well, we, you know, grandpa's always been a safe guy. Right. We just don't know. So I think that's so important for us all to keep in mind. Let's talk a little bit about a moment of disclosure. And so, you know, if a child, there there are kind of two buckets here. If we, like in my case, my mom discovered the abuse. She saw it happening and then responded. Um, and then there's also the case that a child might disclose. And children don't, I think how children disclose is maybe a good place for us to start. Like what is the kind of common language that we might hear? Because I think sometimes we miss it. Like a child is telling us, but we don't really hear it. We like, they're saying, Oh, I don't really want to go to, you know, Auntie Jen's. And we just think they're being difficult or stubborn or something like that. So could we start with just like, what are some of the ways that we might hear a child disclose that they're being abused? You know, I think we first have to change our mindset. And unfortunately I'm slipping right back to that statistic. You know, Mm. 90% of children who are sexually abused are abused by someone they know, love and trust. And so what that means is, it does not mean everyone is an abuser. Right. No one can be trust. You trust it. You know, that's, that's not the message. But the message is everyone could be an abuser. And so when we go back to that statistic, we have to change our mindset about our interaction with our children. And 
listen, we are we are busy, whether you are working outside the home, working in the home, have one child, have seven children. I mean, we have very demanding lives as parents and caretakers. And we have to shift our mindset to listening to our children in a different way. And you're exactly right. It is not uncommon uh, for a child to um, ask to not have to be around their abuser. But because this is someone they know, love, and trust, it's not some creepo, you know, in the park, in a in a van, in a, in a jacket, um, our mind doesn't go there as the adult. Mm-hmm. They're they're being they're being difficult, uh, or spoiled, you know, yeah. or entitled. Mm-hmm. No, I you know I, I'm sorry that this isn't your favorite person, but this is where we need you to be. So let's go, let's wrap it up. Yeah, come on, kid. (laughs) I got to get to the next thing. Yeah, yeah. But if we can change our mindset to one of curiosity, Mm -hmm. yeah, it's not always giving in. Because remember, not everybody is out to harm our children, but one of curiosity Mm -hmm. and ask the question. Tell me more about that. Mm. You don't even have to say, why don't you want to go with them? So simple. Just tell me more. Giving them an invitation to express themselves. Exactly. And you know what? As a parent, you pay attention to that. When you pick the child up, if, if, if they end up going, you pick the child up. Hey, how did it go? What did you guys do? Mm-hmm. Like ask them real specific questions. Did you watch TV with this person or did you watch TV by yourself? Mm-hmm. Um, did you go outside and play? Who was with you? Um, but come at it from a place of, of curiosity and remembering that Sometimes children will just leave us little itty yeah, little breadcrumbs to see how we respond, and if we freak out, they're going to shut down. They're going to totally shut down. Which is, yeah, this is something you and I have talked about up and down. Like, yeah, like the place in which we have to remain so self-resourced yeah. in these moments. Which, yeah, if it starts to trigger our own trauma, that's going to be really hard, which is definitely why part of our job um, as anyone who's working with children or has children who has experienced trauma is, you know, handle your shit. <laughs> I'm just going to say it very bluntly. That's the like, political term. That's, that's the political, political, that's the correct psychological <laughs> term. It's right there in the DSM-5. Yes. <laughs> So, yeah, and I, you know, I know that that's layered and complex, but it's it's so, so important so we don't project on to our children. Toby, a question that's coming to mind for me as you were sharing that is, do you ever just pointedly ask a child, like, is someone touching you? Is someone harming you? Um, do you ever use those, like, those kinds of direct questions, or is that a no-no? Sometimes we have to be that direct. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the way, um, the way you do it, it's not suggestive necessarily. Mm-hmm. Um, it can just be, Hey, has, um, anybody been touching your private parts? Mm-hmm. Um, has anybody been touching you in a way that makes you feel, um, icky or confused? Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, it's just kind of an occasional check-in is is really what it is. I mean, yeah. my son leaves for school every day and I say, did you brush your teeth? Um, you know, it's, yeah. just, it's yeah. just how we do things as a family. It's an occasional check-in. Um, and I think the key for anybody to remember is to come at it with an open heart, um, mm-hmm. not to ask those questions from a place of fear 
or possible anger, but with an open heart out of curiosity. Yeah, beautiful. Um, and if a child directly says to you, like, somebody's hurting me, somebody's harming me, what are some of the first things that um, a caregiver should do? How should, should they respond? How should they not respond? Right. Both of those are such good questions. Yeah. And, you know, I'm going to go back that um, the things that we naturally want to do when a child discloses abuse to us are really the exact opposite of what we should be doing. And so that's why child sexual abuse prevention and response training is so important so that we're not having to figure this out in the moment. We can literally fall back on our training. Mm -hmm. um, and the first thing I tell anybody is to pause, take a deep breath, and stay calm. Yeah. And as you can imagine, that's really not going to be our natural mm -hmm. reaction. Right. But if you put yourself in the shoes of that little person in front of you, mm -hmm. they're going to think they are in trouble. Totally. They're going to think that you are mad, in fact, at them. Right. That's how they're going to feel your response. It will not feel like protection. It'll feel like trouble. Yeah. Um, and also, if we let our emotions get the better of us and maybe start crying or getting teary-eyed, you know, those little people love us dearly, and their instincts are going to be to protect us. So if we have any of those kinds of responses, they're going to, they're going to most likely shut down. Right. So take a deep breath. Try to keep yourself calm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Tell the child, I believe you. Yeah. It makes me think of this moment, again, when I was a nanny, we were at the playground, and the little girl was on the swing, and this little boy ran under the swing next to her, you know, it was empty, you know, and just kind of pushed the swing up and like was running under it, but it arced, and it popped her right in the head, and she fell off the swing, you know, she's on the ground, she's got a cut in her head, and internally, I'm wanting to like snatch that little boy, right? <laughs> Trying to be like, what the F? You know? But my job is to respond to the harm, make sure my child is taken care of, make sure she has what she needs. And I think like that for me was so such a moment, like I can really resource that. Like as you're talking about that, I'm trying to think about like what would be a moment that I would try to resource mm -hmm. and try to access. Okay, this is how I handle a physical injury. I don't start mm -hmm. crying. Right. I don't start yelling or I don't even start asking a lot of questions. I just put all of my intention on like, what does this child need in this moment? And so, yeah, I think for those of you listening, I think it's important to really think about, you know, how your response system when it comes to these other sorts of things, like it's in there, you have access to it and capacity for it. And yes, it will be harder to do in the context of someone has intentionally chosen to harm my child. Um, but if you can kind of self-resource in the same way that you would, if you see the child, you know, fall and scrape their knee, right? Yeah, beautiful. That's exactly right. And we know, we know that the number one, um, the number one thing that affects how trauma will impact a child for the rest of their life is whether they are believed at disclosure. Yeah. So right. those those words, I believe you, are 100%. And then you want to reassure the child, 
this is not your fault. You are not in trouble. Mm-hmm. He's like, I'm glad you told me things like you were very brave to tell me I want to help you. Those are all very important messages. We don't want to ask the questions that are at the forefront of our mind, which is usually, why didn't you tell me? Mm-hmm. Which mm-hmm. is usually, why didn't you tell them to stop? Which yeah. is usually, why did you keep going back? Yeah, let's avoid all of that. <laughs> let's and, not do and, any of that. Yeah, And, and those are the that. questions that are going to be burning yes. in your mind. And yeah. so we've got to fall back on our training, sidestep them, and go to, I believe you. This is not your fault. Yeah. It's so fascinating. I've shared this story with you. And, um, you know, the moment when my mom noticed, saw my grandfather abuse and we were sitting out on the front porch, she looked through the window and saw him touching me. And she came blazing out onto the porch and said, Rachel, get in here. And there were a hundred things she said after that, that I'm sure were probably reassuring. And are you okay? And I don't remember any of it. And so I think like, particularly in a moment of discovery, we've got to keep our cool and like move the child, like and just move them away. But when there's a disclosure, I think the bottom line of what I'm trying to get at here is that the child is in a very vulnerable spot. And in many ways, they've they've had to muster up their courage, right, really to like save this, because we have to remember, like the child is holding this internally as I'm bad, I'm wrong. I did something to cause this, but I'm somehow, but it's gotten to some point in some way in which like they're getting past that internalized shame to say, I think this is not okay and I need help. So I do kind of think like whatever is the first sentence out of your mouth is really the thing that is going to anchor in that child's memory. And like everything that comes next is just like whatever comes next. So like really be thoughtful about that because for sure you're setting a tone and it's, it's really critical. Yeah, that's, that's such a, a great example. Thank you for, thank you for sharing that part of your story as well, because I'm certain that that's something that any parent or guardian or caregiver can absolutely relate to. Yeah. And, you know, it, you know, years later, of course, as I'm healing, I look back and I see her just as mama bear and like wanting to get me away and like, cool, like, it, you know, I work through, like it doesn't hold any charge or energy, but in that moment and as a child and for years after, right, it was something that sat there. So I think what's just so beautiful about everything that you teach and share, you know, you make things very um, simple, which I think is so important. Like, yep, just say these three things and don't say these three things. Right? Like, just stick to the script. You know, just stick to the script and you'll be fine and your child will be fine. You'll figure it out. You'll get the resources and, you know, continue on moving. Having these conversations, even just a simple sentence, you know, in your daily lexicon that you're using with your children you know, weaving it in, normalizing it in the same way that you check in about, did you do your homework, right? Like having it all. And I think something I've talked about in the past is just the way in which that stops this from being like that scary, bad thing. And it's just, yeah, that's one thing I need to be aware of. I look both ways when I cross the street. Mom taught me how to do that. Dad taught me how to do that. Grandpa taught me how to do whatever. And I also need to pay attention to how people are treating me and my body, and all of that. 
It is. Those are all body safety rules, and they're no different. Yeah. And there is one more thing, if I could add, you would ask yeah. about um, how to respond yeah. to a disclosure of abuse. The other thing that I want to really impart to folks is um, don't ask too many questions. And again, that's going to be, you know, our nature. Mm -hmm. We're going to want to know some really big um answers to these questions, but we don't want to ask too many questions for a couple reasons. Number one, we don't want to re-traumatize the child because they're going to have to tell this story to law enforcement or to um, Department of Child Services. And so we don't want to have to re-traumatize the child. And folks don't need all those details to make a report. Mm -hmm. They really just need the most basic of information. Um, yeah. Kind of the top level of who, what, when, where. And I mean mm -hmm. really like the top level because you can still report even if you don't have the name of the alleged abuser. You can still report if the yeah. child is not clear on when this happened or where this happened. So we don't want to re-traumatize the child. Um, frankly, you don't need all those details. It's not anyone's job to determine if this really happened or not. Well, the only person's job are, are the authorities right. the who are actually trained. Yeah. You know, we're, we're, our job is to report the disclosure, not determine if it happened. Yes. Beautiful. It's such an important thing because, yeah, I think, you know, saying something reassuring like we're going to get help and we're going to talk to people who can help us with this so that there is a sense of like there's a next step, like we're not finished here. But like, what, what, how can I, you know, I'm just going to take care of you, maybe ask a question or two about like that simple thing. But you're right, the, the, because the child is going to start, you know, remembering and revisiting and all those conversations that are going to have to happen. So keeping the focus on kind of nurturing and staying calm and reassuring the child, you did the right thing. I believe you We're going to get you help. Yeah. Beautiful. So true, Rachel. Toby, any final words for our audience today? I want to thank them for not turning off Spotify or Apple <laughs> or shutting down their email once they started hearing what this topic was about. And yeah. I mean that so genuinely yeah. from my heart because right there was a huge act of bravery. Mm -hmm. and, and I want to acknowledge that. And I want to appreciate it. And I even want to encourage it to continue. Share this um, podcast with another parent. Share it with your co-parent. Share it with your parent, with the child's grandparent. Yes, yes. But keep the conversation going. Oh, I love that. Beautiful. And if you want to really have the opportunity to dive even deeper and get even more tips and strategies um, and a really beautiful workbook that you can then use um, in your family to keep the conversation going in the ever ongoing way, then again, we really encourage you to hop over to um, bit.ly slash the empowered parent. And if you're listening to this at a time when we're about to run the program, sign up. If you're listening to it at a time when we're in between, join the wait list. Um, and of course, you can reach out to me um, with questions at any time. And you can also connect with Toby um, over at starkcg.net. And on Instagram, Toby Stark Prevention, I'll have those links in the show notes. 
And Toby, I just thank you so much. I'm so glad that the universe brought us together <laughs> and um, that we're getting to collaborate in these powerful ways. And thank you for bringing your wisdom um, to the Beyond Surviving audience and community. And I want to just thank everybody for tuning in and joining us today. As always, if you'd like to make a donation in support of the podcast, go to bit.ly slash Beyond Surviving Podcast Donation. All contributions will be applied towards funding scholarships, the running of donation-based and free programs, and making sure that those reaching out for support get what they need. And don't forget to visit rachelgrantcoaching.com to learn more about sexual abuse recovery coaching. And please be sure to subscribe to the podcast, leave us a note, and then come back next time because we have so much more to share. And until then, take good care of you. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com.